Hello, Second Chancers. As always, it is my pleasure that you've joined me for today's podcast of Second Chance Coaching. My name is Dr. Richard Lewis. If you'd be so kind as to leave me a five-star rating and your feedback, I'd very much appreciate it as it will help dynamic people such as yourself optimally discover this podcast and they could add it to their library of favorite podcasts. As you know, at Second Chance Coaching, we focus on seeing everyday life through the eyes of the returning citizen and highlighting the resiliency of the human spirit. I'd love to work with you one-on-one, whether you're a returning citizen, a coaching client seeking their second chance, or you're a representative of a business, college, or university seeking to integrate and support returning citizens in your respective organizational and learning environments. Please feel free to reach out to me via email at richard at secondchancecoaching.com or on Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. Well, it is the first Monday of April, and in the month of April in the United States since 2017, we observe the month of April as Second Chance Month. Second Chance Month is designed to raise awareness of the collateral consequences of a criminal conviction and unlock second chances, something that we do all the time here at Second Chance Coaching, and we will highlight throughout the month different topics that will continue to support Second Chance Month that was founded by Prison Fellowship, and you could follow them on prisonfellowship.org. One of the seeds that created the Second Chance Coaching podcast and and was able to inspire me to, to, to find my voice and to be in this movement with you and to, and to, and to move forward with you is Mr. John Doc Fuller. Uh, John, or as I affectionately call him, Doc. Doc is a well-renowned prison coach, consultant, motivational speaker, and author. He is an outstanding individual, and as you'll hear me say in the interview, I definitely consider him one of my heroes, and it's not a term I use lightly or use often, but Doc is definitely one of my heroes. So here is my interview today with Doc, and I hope you enjoy it here on Second Chance Coaching. Welcome again to Second Chance Coaching. I'm Dr. Richard Lewis, and I'm pleased and I'm honored to be joined here by John Fuller. And I'm going to give a little introduction uh, about our guest today, and then we're going to get into a deep and in-depth conversation with John Fuller, who I affectionately call Doc. I told him before we started recording, he's one of my heroes. I don't use that uh, terminology loosely, but he definitely is. Doc is definitely one of my heroes. So um, let, let me introduce John, John Fuller to all of you today. John experienced the worst of humankind behind bars, but he refused to let that destroy him. He vowed that he would turn his life around and encourage others living on the edge to do so as well. As soon as John was released in 2002, he began coaching others who were facing incarceration about how to make the best of their time in prison. In 2004, he formalized his coaching by founding Prison Coach Speaking He's the most sought after prison coach in the world. In addition to being a nationally renowned prison coach, John is also an acclaimed motivational speaker, author, and teaches criminal defense attorneys CLE courses so they can better understand what their clients will face in prison. John energizes his audience to live his motto, motivation, determination, transformation. John is living proof that no matter how bleak a situation is, Motivation and determination can indeed lead to transformation. John is active throughout the country, assisting organizations looking to implement prison reentry programs. He is also the author of two books, A Day in Prison, An Insider's Guide to Life Behind Bars, and 
the 10 prison commandments, the 10 rules you must know before you enter a county jail, state, or federal prison. John is an active contributor to ABC, NBC, Fox, Entertainment Tonight, and Hollywood Access. So it is my pleasure, my honor, to welcome John Fuller, who I'm gonna officially call Doc the rest of the time that we're here. So welcome, Doc, to Second Chance Coaching. How are you doing today, my brother? Thank you so much, big brother. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Oh, thank you so much. Right back at you. You know I definitely appreciate you as well. John, my, my first question for you is, explain to us what a prison coach is and what does one do in that role? Well, for the most part, they're very adept at helping individuals adjust to the prison system prior to incarceration by providing them with knowledge um, that will help them to refrain from gambling, getting involved with drugs, respecting their cellmates, and other things that go uh, hand in hand with preparation. Nice, nice. Can you share with us your history that gives us, share with us your history, you know, beyond what we talked about in the introduction, and gives us a deeper understanding of your commitment in the criminal justice reform movement? Well, as a prison consultant, that's um, when it comes to prison reform, abolishment, things of that nature, um, that has nothing to do with prison consulting. Um, that is strictly for clients, but I'm more into um, challenging excessive punishment, especially for children and people living in poverty, addiction, or some form of mental illness. So, you know, even after people are released from prison, you know, the, the parole conditions often require formerly incarcerated people to pay restitution, supervision fees, and other costs. So, you know, when you couple that with a loss of employment and housing, threatened immigration statuses, which is prevalent, in, particularly in the Federal Bureau of Prisons, um, and other things, you know, you then have disqualification for welfare, benefits, student loans, and you can't obtain licenses often. And so, you know, that will keep a person in their families in a lifelong system of poverty. So that's what I'm about when it comes to uh, the prison um, reform and, and being involved in the, all of these other things that have to do with prison. Amen. Okay. Our next question, it kind of ties into a little bit what you answered before. Right now, we're moving through this new age of a new awareness or being woke, as people would say, especially in this time of a pandemic and all this all, all, and, uh, and civil unrest. And there has been an ongoing debate pitting criminal justice reform against criminal justice abolitionism. What's your perspective on this? Well, that's a... Um a pretty broad question, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about abolition first. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's even though I, I, I stay out of politics, it's a political vision. That's not anything that could be handled outside of politics for the most part. Because, you know, when you talk about abolishment, you know, that deals with other things as far as policing, surveillance and creating lasting alternatives to punishment and imprisonment. So it's not just, you know, simply getting rid of building prison cages. It's about actually undoing the society that continues to feed on and maintain the oppression of the masses of people through punishment, violence, and control. 
because the prison industrial complex, as you know, it isn't an isolated system, so to speak. Abolition is a broad strategy, more or less. And so when we have to be building models today that will develop and represent how we want to live in the future. So it's both, you know, one might say a practical organizing tool in addition to a long-term goal, you know, because you think about how broad, particularly in the United States, the prison industrial complex really is. And that goes hand in hand with policing, surveillance. You know, they feed off of that, you know, reform. So with yes. each generation, you know, they get bigger and more deeply entrenched into our communities and more powerful, you know? No, of course, of course. There are numerous collateral consequences regarding when one has conviction. What are some consequences that you would think could be eliminated immediately to provide one who's a returning citizen, a formerly incarcerated individual, whatever one would call would call us, to have a more successful path to? Well, you have to really consider what other countries have done um, and use them as a model. Um, you think about the issues that happened in Portugal when they were in a drug and they tried what the U.S. has tried. They tried incarcerating their way out of um, prisons and thinking that that was the broad strategy. And so what they decided to do over 20 years ago, they got a, you know, what was his, Dr. Jao Coelho? Mm -hmm. He got a panel of experts and they, they sat together and they considered all of the problems and considered the research of the country. And they did something which people thought was crazy. They just said, you know what? We're going to abolish drugs. We're going to decriminalize all drugs. And so when they decriminalized it, they created incentives at the same time. So what they would do Let's just say you had two people. You had Robert and Craig, and they both commit a crime together. In the United States, they incarcerate Rob. He's going through withdrawal symptoms. He gets 10 years for robbing the bank. And upon release, after paying $80,000, $90,000 a year to incarcerate him, and you have almost a million-dollar bill for incarceration, he has to start from scratch. In Portugal, what they did, they said, okay, we're going to give you morphine legally through a doctor. Seven in the morning, you're going to get your shot of morphine. Then we're going to help you work. We're going to give an incentive to someone to hire you, particularly when we find out what it is you love to do. So let's just say Craig wants to be an auto mechanic. They'll tell his potential employer, we're going to pay half of his salary if you hire him. Then they teach him how to start his own business. And then they put him in psychological programs to a point where his self-esteem is so high, he no longer wants the drugs. So their approach was, we're going to take this money and use it towards love, concern, skill building, and they pretty much uh, shot their statistics right into the ground. And Netherlands copied it. 
so much so that in the Netherlands, they don't even have any more prisons. Netherlands has done away with prisons by decriminalizing drugs. And the prisons in the Netherlands that do house inmates, they ha they're housing these inmates from other countries. So when you think about reentry, that's something that has to be planned before an individual is even incarcerated. You know, what direction, what blueprint do we have? And so police officers, everyone has to get involved. It's a community issue, not a, um, a court system in prison system versus an individual. Oh, that's interesting. That would be, I don't know if, we, I don't know if we're going to live enough of a lifetime to see that in the United States. Well, yeah, because, you know, unlike most countries, you know, it's a business here. You know, we make up 5% of the world's population, yet we incarcerate 25% of the world's people in prisons. And so again, when it's a business, you, you can never really get rid of it, which is why reform has to be tied in because whatever goes on in the streets as far as the way they incarcerate the police treat youth the way police don't come from the communities all of that stuff trickles down into the prison system where the, the police don't live near the prison they don't know any of the inmates and they'll treat the juveniles in the system the same way that the police treat the juveniles on the street so again, that goes back to abolishment, prison reform. How are the police gonna even speak to children under the age of 18? Are the police going to undergo and study sociology and psychology and be brought in from these particular communities? Because when you do that and there's an issue happening within the neighborhood, well, that's a problem that actually the neighbors can solve. When prisons are geared towards healing people, who is working in the prison? Are they qualified? Do they know the individuals there where it can be a systematic change? No, of course, absolutely. Tell, share, Doc, share with us, what are some of the projects you're working on right now? Well, <clears throat> now to entertain myself and make some money, I, I've started dabbling in Forex trading, which is trading currency about uh, mm -hmm. four, four or five months ago. And I had no idea how easy it was to do and I have really good mentors, so I'm, I'm really learning Forex trading, and um, I really enjoy teaching criminal defense attorneys uh, how they could better understand uh, their clients before they head into prison. So those are the two things that I'm, I'm really focused on and having a lot of fun with right now. Okay, great. Well, I'm, I'm not going to violate any confidentiality that you may have, but as a prison coach, because I remember even when we spoke, I really didn't know what a prison coach was, and certainly you've enlightened me and enlightened the audience about that. But do you have any, without putting any names out there, what, is, what has been one of your most unique experiences as a prison coach in consulting with clients or whomever, whatever in that role? I would say dealing with a, a professional athlete, um, someone who has um, been catered to his or her own life, someone who's in the physical fitness, who's had millions of dollars um, and being a larger than life figure, just to sit down with them prior to incarceration and uh, having the wonderful privilege to uh, welcome them home after imprisonment. Oh, wow. And what was, 
what was some of the things that the athlete, any changes in him or her, what were, what was some of the takeaways that they had from their experience? Um, one was accepting responsibility. Um, so often people have no idea about the lives they impact, whether they have um, fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, wives still on the street, and how their crimes may have impacted um, family members. And so they go through, you know, prior to coming back home, they're able to make amends with their families and subsequently their communities. And then um, to be able to rise and get involved with the NFL uh, again and have a successful career, um, that can only happen when people have seen change and you've accepted responsibility. And now you want to be actively involved uh, in your communities. Because once you have an attachment to a community, very rarely will you destroy it. Absolutely. Absolutely. How can people follow you on social media? Or how can they keep, keep track of any new, new projects and new, new, new uh, ventures that you're getting into? Um, I'm probably the easiest one to find on the Internet. You could put in John Doc Fuller, and normally I'll pop up. You could put in John Fuller Prison uh, on Instagram. I'm John Doc Fuller on um, Facebook, The Prison Coaches. On Twitter, um, I'm The Prison Coach. And so um, very easy person to find. No, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. I have to, I know we said this before we were recording, so, you know, I have to say it again and, and let the audience enjoy, enjoy some of the things that we were talking about. I know Doc, I met Doc um, through the Fortune Society. When I worked in, when I, when I started working at the Fortune Society, I took over Doc's position. I replaced Doc. And so, of course, you know, when I, I, I heard of Doc before I met Doc. So, of course, when everybody talked about Oh, you're, you're replacing Doc. I'm, you know, of course, I got the feeling that I was going to be replacing big shoes. And so um, our friend David Williams, who has transitioned and is still an angel above us, you know, he, he talked about you all the time. And then when I finally got the honor to meet you, I couldn't have met a more humble person, a more helping, a more giving person. And then certainly someone that was that was making my transition into replacing you in the position much more easier. And as we've gotten to be friends over the last 15, 16 years, that's why I use the term hero so much because I've seen the, the difference that you made in people that were there at Fortune. I've seen the difference that you've made now that you've been out and I see what you're doing in social media. So certainly when I try to sit there and, and go through that standard of excellence, you're definitely one of the people I try to emulate and follow. So I thank you so much for joining us today, Doc, and thank you for being who you are in my life as well. Well, thank you also um, for sharing, um, sharing that information, Rich. But let me tell you something. Not a day goes by where your name does not come out of my mouth. Um, you take the excuses away from men and women who come home thinking that um, things are impossible. You know, how many people can say, I have a, a, a felony and I'm a doctor, you know, that is as rare as an eclipse, brother. And so that is something you should, should cherish because, you know, there is not too much that I don't believe that I can do. Um, I, I believe that anything is achievable, but you've, you've pushed the limits on me. Once 
you've got not only your master's, but your PhD. And the thing that really impressed me about your struggle, you never made it seem like it was easy to do, right? Whether it was or whether it wasn't, you never made it seem easy because you always had an obstacle, whether it was a person who was already a doctor, a college faculty person, they were always putting blocks um, in front of you, roadblocks, in spite of all of your success. Nobody who's become a doctor had to deal with the obstacles you had to deal with. If it wasn't for a felony, you would have been accepted as a dean, a professor, and all of these various institutions. But they kept making reason after reason after. They fell in love with you. And then once they found out about the felony, it was like, check them off, check them off, check them off. So thank you for your struggle. Okay, sometimes it happens with the internet gives it gets a little wonky. So sorry about that, Doc. All right, yeah. the last thing you said was that I didn't make it seem easy, humbly saying that. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so what really impressed me about you, Rich, was the fact that you never once made it seem easy. Whether it was easy or not, you kept it to yourself. But to me, as your brother, knowing everything, and I'm sure you don't mind me putting everything I'm about to put out there, um, to throw it out there, but you know what? No doctor had to go through what you went through to be accepted to become a college professor. Um, you were qualified to be dean, you were qualified to be a professor, and you would go through all of this red tape, all of these interviews, prove yourselves for prove yourself for months. And then once a position became open, the felony conviction all of a sudden came up. And you never let it stop you. You never once used like, Doc, I got this thing going on over here. I'm going to take a shot at it. I mean, people from all, all over the country were trying to grab you. And for some reason, that felony kept popping up in spite of the fact that you had your PhD. It was amazing how they accepted you entrusted you with everything until you went for that permanent position. And then all of these obstacles would pop up. And I'm like, any other doctor would have folded, would have filed some kind of lawsuit, some kind of discrimination, you know, but we always talked about obstacles and they continued to put obstacles in you. I mean, this went on for years, for years. And you know, yes, you can't teach that. You can't teach um, that ability to stay focused, to stay resolved, to have that grit. It's that grit which separates the winners from the losers. You had already went through your transformation. You know, you went through that stage of being molded and to, to crawling, to uh, literally learning how to fly. And they still wouldn't accept it. You know, and you just grind it anyway. So when I talk to people, I mention you because I say, listen, I'm not I'm not the college guy. That's just not my thing. I believe I could do anything there is to do in this world. But let me tell you something. This dude, my man, Rich Lewis, pushed the boundaries of my thinking. The studying that he had went to go through, 
just the loss of family members. Everything was hitting him, and he still made no excuses, man. Every time he got punched, he got back up off the mat. And, like, I'm still standing. You know, that's amazing, man. Anybody could come home from prison and get a job and go to college. Everybody is not cut out to get a master's degree and become a doctor and then get um, bamboozled, hoodwinked, ridiculed, sideswiped, um, sucker punched by his fellow peers and professionals professionals at these colleges and, and other um, institutions. You put in the work. You don't owe anybody any apology, any apologies for anything, brother. And that's why I'm so proud of you, man. No, I appreciate that. I mean, you, you said it better than I did. <laughs> you said it better, better said it than I could, for sure. But I can tell you, it's the, it's the encouragement of, of and, I, and I've always said this, it's encouragement of people who are like-minded, people such as yourself, and then really family being able to speak love and put love into you that a lot of, that we know a lot of men and women who come home don't have that. And so when, when we come in the role of saying, you know what, let's prepare you for what you're gonna see, let's prepare you for what you're gonna see when you come home, I think that's so very important that, and I tell folks all the time, I wanna keep doing this so well that we put ourselves out of business so that I could go into for X trading or just be a college professor and don't and have a less exciting life, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you something about the beauty of Forex trading, man. Not that that's one is plat. You can start Forex trading with a hundred dollars, man. It's amazing, man. It's amazing, man. It's like a guy could come out of prison and literally get into Forex trading and, and be very well off for himself in less than a year, you know, it's amazing, you know, and if I wasn't in tune with the young people and what they're doing out there, this would have slipped right by me. Cause I have friends with seven series licenses and they know nothing about Forex trading. So I keep my ear to the streets to see what the 20 year olds are doing. I'm like, how is all these 20 year olds millionaires? And I'm doing all of this kind of research on the internet and looking at all of these, I said, oh, my goodness. And some of them that I can't, they had their college degrees and couldn't find a job. College degrees, they were working at Champs. They were working yeah. at, at Chick-fil-A's. And then these opportunities come up and they're making $100,000, $250,000 a month. That's said, I want in. I mm. need I need the fact. I need in on this. So it's a good learning experience. I'm having fun with it, man. There you go. That's what's up. That's what's up, Doc. Well, listen, I mean, if anybody wants to learn the Forex, they can definitely follow you on your platforms and they'll they'll definitely learn. They'll definitely learn along with you or they'll just do it like, like a lot of us did, learn from you as well. So no, I, I, I appreciate you joining us on Second Chance Coaching, Doc. We'll, we'll have to do it again sometime. Absolutely. I love you, brothers. Te um, take care of the fam. Do what you do. Keep on knocking down walls, Big Daddy. Absolutely. I love you too, brother. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.